welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. Having a flourishing faith in, in the middle of the world that we live in. Peter found out that he could walk on water when he kept his eyes on Jesus in the middle of the storm. But as soon as he began to look around, he began to sink. But as soon as he called on the Lord again, Jesus lifted him up and he went back to the boat. As a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, I am especially concerned about the environment of our culture in our country. But I am also greatly, greatly encouraged by the power of God's Word of how to thrive and flourish in our faith in the middle of this. We no longer live in a Christian America. In fact, to many people's surprise, the United States is no longer the center of Christianity in the world. It has moved to Africa and South America. We're in a post-Christian time. But the good news is that the Church of Jesus Christ, not only around the world, is growing, but, but what the research is showing that in the United States, Bible-believing churches like Grace continue to grow and thrive regardless of how hostile the environment gets. Many years ago, I attended Penn State University, and I was enrolled in a science program, forest science. Not, the, not what you think of as a forest ranger where you climb a tower and look with binoculars to see if there's, the woods are on fire, but forest science has to do with the science of forests, of developing um, new hybrids for productivity, developing new, even new, uh, in some cases, wood products. That's more wood science. But it's absolutely fascinating to me. Um, that's what I look forward to. But because I was in a science program, they assigned me to take the same classes. All the science majors were together for about a year to a year and a half, whether you're in forest science, biology, whether you're pre-med, it didn't make any difference what you're in, you're all together. And science has never been my forte, although I'm capable at it. My, what I love is history and processes and, and literature and uh, just discovering new things. That's, that's what I like, more of the, what you'd call the humanities rather than, than the sciences. But I went to Penn State and I had grown up at Peckville Assembly of God, which is a great church, and had a strong faith. But I suddenly found myself in an environment that was so foreign to me. Um, it, it, uh, one of my professors was shacking up with one of my freshmen that were there. And I, this just sort of blew me away. And uh, some of them in one of the sociology classes were teaching us that we needed to throw off the restraints of religion. That was something handed down for our parents. It would, it would sort of 
keep us in bondage and we need to throw off those constraints and this was a new day and the world is yours if you choose to open it and open new horizons. And then it came to chemistry and the chem labs and I, I remember how bewildered I was by all this array, array of equipment because the, the high school that I had gone to had, the buildings were over 100 years old and the floors were, were so oiled and they had coal stokers and no showers and we didn't have anything like that. But I came from a family that uh, valued hard work and responsibility and a family that instilled in me, you can do this, and if you apply yourself, you can get ahead. And so I went into the chem classes and the chem lab, and, and so I began to work on things, and for that first year, my first two semesters of my freshman year, I did chem labs all by myself. Other people, they'd get together and do chem labs, but I just, I wanted to figure this thing out for myself. Well, lo and behold, I got uh, the highest grades that you could get in my chemistry labs. And I found out years later that that particular professor held on to those, my papers, to, to make copies of, to hand them to the incoming freshman as to the methodology, this is how you do a chem lab if you want to get a good grade. Now, what do you think of that? It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it was good while it lasted, but in my sophomore year, I started to branch out and get more friends. And uh, there was a there's a pretty little girl that, uh, that started to pay attention to me. And how many know, guys, that gets your attention? And, uh, and so she had said to me, why don't you, you, you don't have to work that hard. You can still get good grades, but let join. There's a study group. We do chem labs together. I had no idea. It sort of sounded good to me, less work and great grades. How many know that's a good deal? And so I did that, and I, was, I soon found out that it was more about social things and really achieving, and in fact, uh, I'll never forget, she handed me an invitation to a party, and she said, there's going to be plenty of grass, and, and it's uh, BYOB, bring your own beer, and that was, I said, hold it, something's, I'm going in the wrong direction here, but I'll never forget the grade that I got that year for my chem lab was in that, that third semester was just a C, and I was so disappointed. What a lesson that I, earned, I learned early on that we can thrive when we stay true to the values of our family, but if we compromise those values for things that aren't really that important, um, we will not thrive. And Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and he gives thanks to God for them. He was concerned for them because they were a new, a new church and they were serving God in the middle of a very hostile environment. And the more you study the early church and particularly the, the church at Thessalonica, you can see the parallels to America and the present day church that believes in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And lo and behold, what Paul heard, he got a report back. He sent, I think it was Timothy, and you can read about this, by the way, in Acts chapter 17, the first 10 verses, you can read about Thessalonica and, and about it and how people came to the Lord and uh, leading men and even leading women. And how many know in a city when the leading men and leading women come to faith in Christ, that gets people's attention. But because of that, they started to endure 
hostilities. And what Paul found out that they were thriving, and so he wrote this letter to encourage them in certain things that they just needed to be discipled and encouraged by. The church at Thessalonica, let me share some of the background with you. It was a leading, it was the capital city in Macedonia. It sat on the, the head of the Thermaic Gulf, the Ignatian Way, which was a, a major Roman highway that still exists in many parts, flowed through that. They even had roads that went up into Germany that came from there. This was a very, very prosperous city. But they prided themselves, their culture prided themselves because they embraced what we call syncretism. And syncretism is when you take religions and all religions and you sort of blend them together to serve whatever works for you at the moment. Anyone ever hear any terms like this? Well, it works for me right now. Anyone here? Would you, you know? And so they did that. They even had a cult called Cabrius or uh, C-A-B-R-I-U-S, which was the cult of following the Roman emperor and viewing him as God. And because they did this, because this was their, what they did, this became a source of their, this was their identity and a source of their unity and their strength. And to get along business-wise, you had to agree to this, and basically you agreed to that particular cult, and you could have your own worship and your own gods, whatever they were, you just had to agree that you also embrace this. Much like today's world that says, if you want to worship your Jesus in your church, that's okay, but just keep it to yourself. And in the middle of this situation, Paul was so concerned, but he wrote and he found out indeed that they were thriving. So he writes this letter, as I had mentioned, and I want to unpack with you for the next five or six Sundays about how we can thrive in the middle of an environment in which we live. The environment in which we live should concern every follower of Jesus Christ, and as a pastor, it certainly does. I... I I was alarmed a few weeks ago when the New York State, when their, their assembly passed a bill allowing abortion upon birth. I, I was absolutely grieved. I was grieved. I was alarmed recently when the governor of Virginia, I was alarmed at what he had to say and then he explained it when he was uh, accused of donning blackface but then he also came out in, in, in support of a, what they're considering or were considering in Virginia, I don't know the state of it, about when a baby who was born in the image of God was born, it could still be aborted if the mother so desired. That's the long and the short of it. I was shocked and I was grieved, but I was particularly grieved that this environment that we live in, the media picked up on blackface and that was more important than the, than the intentional taking of an infant's life. That was brushed off as just like that so, someone's choice. And the upshot of that is that we find ourselves in an environment that we embrace the lordship of Jesus Christ and the church at Thessalonica embraced the lordship of Jesus Christ because he had radically changed them by the gospel 
And they found a new hope, a living hope, an enduring hope. But because of that, they were experiencing deep and severe persecution. They weren't allowed to participate in certain business networks. And much to Paul's eternal gratefulness and thanksgiving, and he opens the book of Thessalonians with this. He said, I thank God for you all. And so what has happened, the good news in all of this is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, though, we don't have to give in, give out, or give up. Greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. And the historical record shows that the church who claims the lordship of Jesus Christ and loves his word thrives in spite of what's going on. In fact, the darker the night, the brighter the light. That's a matter of history. The early church, the early church in the Roman Empire, many of them were, were persecuted to the point of death and they were excluded and they were looked down on because they did not embrace the deities of that day. Today, Tim Keller writes, and he's one of the most respected and wonderful leaders in the Christian faith in the United States, that today the church is often marginalized because we don't embrace and legitimize all the identities of this world. But what history shows us is this, that when the church is different from this world, it will thrive. When it chooses not to be different but to blend in, it loses its strength because it no longer has anything to add to this world. And Paul writes these wonderful words to us, and I want to share them with you this morning and about a flourishing faith and we're going to start in, um, in verse number one. If we could bring this up, and we'll, I'll read all the scripture, the first five verses. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but it also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. The first thing, a flourishing faith, is he writes about is that it's rooted and grounded. Rooted and grounded. As a forest science student, one of the things that I did learn, in addition to the, I don't know, 56 different tree species in Pennsylvania, at least northeastern Pennsylvania, was the anatomy of a tree and the root system and how important it is. And, and often you can't tell the health of a tree simply by looking at it. It's the root system underneath that determines and the root system of a tree will often grow three times the length of its longest branches. It spreads out and it spreads down. And when those, when those roots in certain soils, when they, when they adapt and change and they grow down, 
rather than just going out for the top foot of topsoil, when the storms come and when they're together in a grove of trees, it's almost impossible for them to blow over. How many have ever seen trees that have blown over? I'm always amazed at how shallow the root systems are. And a lot of times they're by themselves or the root systems have been compromised. And so Paul says this. He said, he reminded them and he reminds us. He said, first of all, he said, you're rooted and grounded in God the Father who loves us. And church, I want to say this today, and God's word speaks so loudly and clearly. There is a God in heaven, our heavenly Father, who loves you. And he loves me. And he loves his church. Regardless of who says what, we're the object of his eye, the apple of his eye, the object of his, his affection. The terminology that he uses goes all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. And if you read Deuteronomy chapter 7, this is what he says. It's like a primer for today. And when you come into that land and you live in that environment, these are the things that you're to do. You are not to blend in, but you're to declare my glory. But in verses 7 and 8, he said, he said, I chose you not because you're greater than number or more powerful than anyone else. I chose you because I love you and I promised your ancestors and I've set my love upon you. And church, the Lord wants us to know that God loves his church and it's an everlasting love and we are, we, we are called to put our roots down deep, 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 deep into the love of God so his love flows through us. He reminded us and told the church that the Lord Jesus, we're rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ who saves us and lives for us. That's the gospel is good news for all, for everybody that's here. There's no exception to it. Jesus Christ came to offer salvation, no matter what your identity is. Salvation is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The hope. In fact, Paul would write later on he, concerning that, that day of the Lord when Jesus Christ comes back and we all stand before God's judgment seat. He said, church, I want you to know that God has appointed you not for wrath, but for salvation. Can someone say praise God? Yeah, praise God. That Jesus loves us and Christ saves us and he lives for us. And then that we're rooted and grounded in the grace and the peace of God, the grace of God that made a way for you and me to come to God when through Jesus Christ when we could not, there was no way, we couldn't bridge the Grand Canyon of how far, fall, uh, how far we fell short of the, of the holiness of God, but God through his grace made a way for you and me. And some would say, praise God, thank you, Jesus. Yes, that's where our roots are. The second thing I want to share with you is that the flourishing faith that Paul talked about is it's a fruitful faith. In verses 2 and 3, he uses these words, faith, hope, and love. How many have heard faith, hope, and love before? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 13, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. But in Paul's writings over and over and over, he stresses this, this term. It's Paul's, when you read that, it's Paul's shorthand for the essentials of following Jesus, faith, hope, and love. And he said, I, I appeal to you, or I commend you for your work of faith, for your labor of love. 
and for your steadfastness of hope. Uh, many of you know that I love to garden. I love the garden. And uh, we arrived uh, yesterday about noon in Harford County. And uh, so we had talked about what we wanted to do and, you know, how we're going to unpack, but we need to get something to eat. We need to see the church. So guess where we came before we unpacked, before we went to lunch? Guess where we came? Straight up 95, off at the 543 exit, and here we came to the church. We just had to look around and see what went on. Just love it. Love it. And uh, besides, it helped work off the sweet potato chips bag full that we ate on the way up here. So anyway, but we're delighted, and we looked around and just see, see what was going on. But one of the things I said to my wife, Chris, I said, I can hardly wait to get home to see how the garden is doing. Now, how many know that's an odd statement for February? How many know that's an odd statement? This is directed towards Joyce Browning. It's her fault. She had the small group on Saturdays from garden to the table, I think it was. And I went to one of them, and it was on elephant garlic. Now, just how many like garlic? Just be honest with yeah, okay, come on, all right, just don't get too close to each other, but, you know, we like garlic. And that day she had roasted garlic, she parade garlic, she, I mean, all this stuff, and she's so excited, she's talking about it, you know, and, and she's serving us, and then she had all these resources, and she said, and you can grow it yourself, it's not hard. You know how Joyce talks. And I said, yes, yes, give me some papers. And she had these big elephant garlic bulbs and she broke them off into these giant cloves. And, and I read through the material. This was in November, I believe, November, December. And it said that was an optimum time in Maryland. So I went home and I planted two rows of garlic, elephant garlic, just according to what it said. And when I came back, guess what? In spite of all this cold weather. We felt so bad for y'all back here, shoveling snow, and oh, it was terrible, you know. By the way, I didn't know, when we got here yesterday, it was 37. I didn't know 35 to 37 degrees could be so cold. I had no idea. But one of the first things I did after we got the stuff out of my truck, I went out to see the garden and all, all the rows, and they're up about this high fruitfulness, even in the dead of winter. One of my favorite things to do, and we'll start getting ready in a month or so to plant potatoes, and after they've been in for, I don't know, maybe six weeks or seven weeks and the blossoms comes out, one of my favorite things in the garden is to go out and you start feeling underneath the potatoes plants. Anyone know what I'm feeling for? Not worms, not rocks. It's what they call new potatoes. They're about as big as a golf ball. And if you're real gentle, you just dig. Oh, my, it feels so good, you know. Oh, there's one. You pull it off. And you don't have to pull the whole plant up. But last year, I planted 50 potato plants. Do you think I like, enjoy potatoes? I do. And I, we had new potatoes. And you, you just boil them and put butter on them and salt. And there's nothing like them at all. They're fruitful. And God has called you and me Listen, we can be fruitful in spite of what's going on around us. What's going on around us has nothing to do with the fruitfulness of the child of God. 
In fact, you know, it says that the man or woman who puts their trust in him will be like the tree that's planted by the living waters whose root goes down deep. And in the dry season, its leaf does not wither and it bears fruit in due time. Can someone say praise God? This world can talk, they can say, they can marginalize, they can do what they want, but it has nothing to do with the people of God being fruitful in the day that God has called us to be. Praise his God, praise his name. And so Paul said this, he said, I commend you for your work of faith because that work of faith is an outgrowth of faith that's shed in our hearts and faith without works is dead. And there's a reason why it's called the work of the Lord, because it's work, but we do it because it's the faith that God has put in our hearts. He said, I give thanks to God because of your labor of love. We work and we labor because we love people, and God's love compels us. We will not thrive by yelling invectives at those who don't like the church. How many understand that? You might feel like you want to throat punch people. Thank you, Bob Lidke. You legitimize that in a Facebook post. Do you ever get that? Anyone ever feel like that? I mean, you know, why, why, is, why are they carrying that news story? You know, you just feel unsanctified for a moment. You know what I'm saying? You, throat punch, that's a good term. Paul said, don't do that. Don't go there. But be known for your work of faith and your labor of love because we love people. They're made in the image of God. A lot of people are not thinking what they say. They're feeling what they say. And even more people don't know the difference. They're being fed all kinds of stuff and there's no discernment. But our labor of love, because we love people. In fact, John Ortberg wrote this, the first casualty of the cultural wars is not truth, but love. And if the enemy of the church of Jesus Christ can get you and me to yelling and being angry and calling the other side names, he has us right where he wants us. Is there an amen? He calls us to love people. We can't do anything about what people say. God calls us to love people. Uh, Chris and I were, um, we, we met some people, couple couples, and uh, we, I just asked the Lord, Lord, open doors for us wherever we go. And, uh, um, they're from north of the border. They're up, up there with Daniel, Fuoco. And uh, great people, really like them. But the more I talked, there's not, a, not an openness to the gospel. It's not because of where they're from, it's just where things are. And uh, so Chris has a ministry of She has an obsession with baking bread. <laughs> and the Lord uses it. So she bakes bread. 
and she gives it to our neighbors. And this has gone on for several weeks, and, and uh, then the final thing was sticky buns, cinnamon rolls or something. They're just, oh my goodness, to die for. But we, unbeknownst to us, it, it was opening some doors. I guess people don't expect that. You know what I'm saying? Even though you're living like five feet from each other. It's... So a week ago, Sunday night, uh, I was on the sidewalk and I'm coming around and this voice out of the dark, unit number one says, hey, Paul. I want to, yeah. Hey. We, God opened the door. We just started talking. And he opened this door. And they all know I'm a pastor. How many know that's a good thing, but it can be a bad thing? People act differently and, you know, yada, yada. But I'm just, I try to be, I just try to blow all that stuff off. And one thing led to another. He mentioned something about God. And he said, I'm a, you know, he named his faith. But he said, I'm not a practicing. What is faith? I don't practice. In fact, I just hardly ever think about it anymore. Then he's talking with me about his child that's now an adult and has kids and how this child of his wants to bring the grandkids over and this, that, and the other. But he said when, when they were in their teen years, he said it was so bad. There was just open rebellion and the names they would call him and I hate you and, you know, all that stuff. And he said, I just, he said, I just kept loving them. So I didn't know what else to do. He said, I wanted to do something as a father, but he said, I, I couldn't because it was so harsh and it only would have pleased me, but it, I think it would have ruined his child. He's talking about love and grace. And, and I said, you know, that's, you know, that's how much uh, God in heaven loves us. And all of a sudden, he says, I'm not religious, but he said, I do have a, he said, I don't hardly ever think of them except when I'm bad, and then I pray. And I said, well, that's good, you know. He said, I got, a, I got a bracelet. You know those rubber band bracelets? He said, I got it at a flea market. He said, it has the strangest words on it, John 3.16. I have no idea what that means to you. I started talking about, about the love of our Heavenly Father that loves us no matter what, but He wants us to love Him back. That's language a dad understands. It's not always popular being a dad, by the way. And I was able to talk with him about salvation and how Jesus made a way. He said, I've never heard that in my life. And we talked and and I just said, this could be yours too. It, this is for everybody. He said, I didn't know that, right? I didn't know that. So the next day, his wife came over. Uh, by then, Chris, I guess, gave him a cinnamon roll. Now he was in heaven. <laughs> she said, oh my goodness. And so we're talking. And so I said, did, did your husband tell you what we talked about? She said, yes. He never talks about that stuff. Then she said, what all did you talk about? <laughs> so I, I repeated. I repeated it. 
see? What I know is this, that if we ask God, and if we will love people and ask God and do good for them, it'll open doors because the day we live in, the messenger, the messenger must be liked and received before they ever hear our message. I believe the turn and burn message for most people or the in your face or just saying this is the ABCs of salvation, you either get it or you don't. I don't think that works. I believe the whole idea of community, the whole idea of relationships anymore because folks don't trust anyone. It comes down, it comes down to loving and caring and praying for somebody. So Chris has given her her phone number and we'll see where this goes, but they want to see us next year. So I'm, we're praying for them. That's what God has for us. And then the steadfastness of our hope. It is the anchor of our soul. Paul wrote, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's the hope that I have. Not that I'm perfect but what he started, the hope is he's going to bring it to completion. There's no hope in this world. If you have done something that's contrary to the identities of this present culture that we live in, there's no hope, there's no forgiveness, there's no redemption. Period. Period. It will be used against you. The pressures are there to conform. But in Jesus Christ. In him, he who began a good work will bring it to completion. That's the fruitfulness, having a steadfast hope in him. The third thing I want to share with you is that a thriving faith is lived out in family. When I was a kid, and many of you I'm sure could relate to this, when I would ask my parents if I could do something because my friends were doing it, they would say, we don't care what they're doing. Anyone ever... We don't care what they're doing. If they told you to jump off a roof, would you jump off the roof? No. I mean, it was, they're very direct, and they backed each other up. We don't care what others do. This is what we do. Our last name is Drost. We're responsible. Our actions have consequences. We live to please God. So either you influence your friends or you get different friends. That was pretty much it. So, but Paul says that this faith is lived out in community. In fact, he uses the word brothers and sisters. It's a powerful family metaphor. Family means a common passion and values and a loyalty to each other. It becomes our identity. My last name is my identity. It's our standard of behavior and our motivation. And in the body of Christ, following Jesus Christ, if we are to thrive, this is never meant to be a plug-and-play religion. Any more than our families meant that we can live like we want. We just pull in, put our feet under the table and gobble up some food and we're on our way, but we're not going to live like the rest of the family. The Lord Jesus Christ died for us, and Paul calls us brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, while it's impossible for each one of you to know everyone here, 
We're still part of the family of God and we're to be brothers and sisters to each other, but each one should be rooted and grounded and go deeper with at least a handful of people who will support you in your walk with Jesus Christ and be honest with you. The families always agree. No, they don't always agree. They always, there's always love, peace, and harmony. No, it's not always love, peace, and harmony. Do they fall out? Yes, they fall out. Do they get their tail in the door? You know, <laughs> do we get our tail? The door slammed on it like the family cat. You know, we yowl. Yes, we do that. But the bottom line is that God calls us to be family. And if we're going to have a faith that thrives, and I'm all in for a faith that thrives, how about you? As I said before, we're not called to give in, give up, or give out. Our faith in Jesus Christ can thrive and be handed down to the generations because God's word says that his blessing goes to the thousandth generation. But it means that we're committed to the family, the local body of Christ, that it's important that we live for the, for the body of Christ and for each other. Paul said, he said, we can, I thank God because as a follower of Jesus, that Jesus, that you were, you were changed by the gospel, radically changed, Thessalon, like Thessalonians, radically changed, not just an add-on, but radically changed. And the power of Jesus Christ today is as strong as ever to forgive, to lift our burdens, to change us. In fact, God's word said, if any man be in Christ, any woman be in Christ, behold, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things become new. As I share God's word with you today, there are hundreds of people and I see reflected in your face the testimonies of the wonderful saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ changed, praise God, changed. And he thanked God because they had experienced the power of the Holy Spirit What makes the church different from this world is not because we gather in buildings, not because we have a certain standard of living, but it's the presence of God. This otherworldliness, that when we come into his house and when we worship and when we serve and when we hear God's word and sink our roots deep, it, it shifts us into God's world. And we experience the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is present when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, but it's also present when someone shows me a rubber wristband that says, I have no idea what this means to you. It's the Spirit of God that opens that door. Lived out in family that is engaging our culture with the values of the kingdom of God. Paul said, I came to you with full conviction. As you read Acts chapter 17, and when Paul began to teach in the synagogues, he taught with full conviction. And church, I, God is calling us to live out our faith with full conviction in this world. The more, the more we tangle 
with. The more we compromise, the more we begin to assimilate the values of this world into our own belief system and it weakens us at our very core. Yesterday uh, on, the, on, the, on the way home, I was listening to the radio and they're talking about uh, Facebook. And you know, Facebook has censors and editors of this, that, and the other. And what they found is, is this, that they also, they contract a lot of it out. And there's rules because they, you could, how many hundreds of millions of people are on Facebook worldwide? I mean, it's huge. So everything is monitored. I didn't know there's certain, um, there's certain grid work that they have uh, that, that, they, that has been developed. They have to monitor everything. And this is what, this is really interesting. The people that edit this, and you can imagine, it's like 40 hours a week. They said that they, they begin to exhibit some symptoms, almost like PTSD. And, and listen to this. This is what the testimonies are showing. It's an occupational hazard that the more that you monitor the editors, they are prone to becoming sympathetic. So the testimonies are this, that, that the editor said that, for instance, for the Holocaust, even though their grandparent went through the Holocaust, they start believing these hate groups that say it was all, all a conspiracy, they said they actually start embracing that view even though they know in their hearts it's not so. 911, there are those hate groups out there that say it was just a conspiracy, it never happened. And these editors live through 911, but they begin to embrace that even though they live through it, they know contrary to that. And church, the lesson for you and for me today is to discern what we're being fed by don't believe everything in the world. Send down your taproots deep into God's word and his grace, his peace, his salvation, his gospel, the love of God. Next week we'll see where Paul said it's the word of God that changed you. You received it for what it really was. And we're not saying that the church is a fortress and we all run here and we do our things on Sunday morning, then the week out and we hide the rest of the week. But what we are saying is that we come here to build each other up in the faith and this community of brothers and sisters, but be careful because an hour and a half on Sunday morning will never outdo a whole week's full of submersion into the things of this world. How many hear what I'm saying? And the more that we hear and the more we start saying, oh yeah, maybe they're right. Maybe I shouldn't say anything even though it's contrary to God's word or, you know, I just, I'll back down or I'll back away from that. And so engaging our culture with, with our values and I'm gonna ask you would, you, would you ask the Lord to be, to show you creative ways to engage this culture. You know, the first loaf of bread, no, I took over a bag of fish because I knew that they really like fish. 
And the first thing they did, they offered me a beer. I don't drink as a believer. First of all, as assemblies of God, as, a, as an ordained person, I take a vow that I'm non-alcoholic. It's okay, it's scriptural. I'm strong enough that I don't have to drink alcohol. It's not a big deal to me, okay? Just not. And, it, and so I was offered a cold one, and I knew it was heartfelt, and I just had to say, I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm non-alcoholic. That's all. You, know, you don't have to explain. I, people know what that means. And I, I, but inside of me, I'm thinking, oh, Lord, you know, I hope that doesn't close any doors. Well, how many know God's greater than that? If it only takes that to close the door, once you do that, next time it'll be two. The next time it'll be six. The next thing you know, you might be rip-roaring drunk. I don't know. But, but it's okay to believe and act out of who you are without being offensive about it. How many hear what I'm saying this morning? But I, I'm asking you, would you ask the Lord to be creative in how we can engage our culture around us? Uh, Amber, uh, Amber Hackett uh, I was so interested in the CASA group that met, and she said there was like 13 people that were present. I, I've told people all over Florida about that. I'm so proud of Grace Assembly of God. I'm proud because, yeah, we put a lot of ministry into our children and into our youth and what's happening and what we're doing, and I'm proud of you and how in a time where there's not very many churches building, God's blessings on us and we're building and we're not, we haven't settled and we've settled up for the future. I'm so proud of that. But when I heard that and that heart and the heart of the Father, I said, this is God's heart and this is what God wants to express. But it came through a person at Grace that first brought it to our attention. Understand some are now considering even being a foster child not only an advocate, but uh, the caregiver for a foster child. But would you ask the Lord Church, Grace, how we can creatively be out there feeding the homeless, and we do that. But what, what does God, what can we do for the name of Jesus Christ so that we thrive? Praise God. Amen. We thrive. And when, they, when God hands out the grades... We'll get A plus. Not a C, because we barely limp by, but A plus. All in for the Lord because of his grace, his love, and his peace. Praise God. I'm going to have the band come if you would now, Chris. Thank you. And I want to pray for you this morning. A few moments, we're going to have communion, and after communion, there'll be prayer teams here so that if you need prayer, there are people who love to pray and we've trained and they'll come and you can come and pray, have burdens lifted. If you're sick, they'll pray for you, they'll anoint you with oil, that God will heal you. We're gonna have the men come if you would. Just come if you would. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And once they, they're in position, I'm going to have you bow your heads for a moment after they're in position. Yeah. Would you bow your heads with me as we go into this sacred place?
you're here this morning and you want to experience God's love and the power of his Holy Spirit working in you, and you want to become part of the family of God, you can say, I need God's grace in my life. I need God's forgiveness. I, I want to come to him. I want to take full advantage of what Jesus died for. If that's you, would you lift your hand right now just quickly? won't embarrass you, but just lift your hand. Just lift it quickly. Say, that's me. I I just need the grace of God in my life today. I want to take that step towards the Lord. Yes. Then secondly, as a, a part of this local assembly, this church, this congregation, how many would just raise your hand and say, Heavenly Father, I hear your word. I want my faith to thrive. Lord, I, I want to put down deep roots and, and I, I want a faith that will be known, that will be fruitful in my life and that I can hand on to the generations. And I'm just lifting my hand to acknowledge that. Would you lift your hand along with mine today? Say, yes, Lord. Yes, yes. And Father, we call it so. And I ask that this transformation of what we're embarking on and what we've committed ourselves to will be handed down to the thousandth generation of our children. We praise you for your grace and your peace and your gospel. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Would you stand now?